0: Good morning, everyone. I want to start, I have to give commendation to Nick and all senior pastors everywhere. They create sermons in less than a week. That's kind of normal for them. I'm not used to that. (laughs) I was asked on Tuesday to give you the message this morning, so um, I'm used to having much more time. So we'll see how this goes. Um, I want to start just talking a little bit about my job, just a little bit. Uh, I teach chemistry in high school, and that's great. I I really enjoy it. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, But when you're a teacher, you can see some of the flaws in the system, in the education system. They're very apparent. Um, They're probably much more clearer than someone who's just watching from the outside. And so there are many failings in our education system, and there are also many failings in the way we parent our children. This becomes very clear as well. Um, and I'm not going to go into the list because we don't have time, but one of the things that I've noticed is we don't teach people, we don't teach teenagers, we don't teach really anybody, how to deal with conflict. We spend a lot of time at the comp teaching people poetry in iambic pentameter. We teach graphing linear algebraic functions. We teach the solubility product constant of salts dissolved in water. That's my thing. And we also must know who won the battle of Thermopylae. Important stuff. (laughs) So maybe we need to do a little more in this conflict resolution area. Uh, Because it seems right now it's just the trial and error thing. By trial and error, people will learn by yelling at each other on the bus or in the cafeteria how to deal with conflict. Now, we've been encouraged to read uh, Francis Chan's book recently, and I don't know how many of you have read it or are in the process of reading it. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand, and there will not be an exam on his book anytime soon. Um, I find this book encouraging, but also extremely discouraging. There are many truths in his book. You might not agree with everything he says, and that's perfectly fine, but um, some of the warnings that he he goes through from Scripture are kind of humbling and a little bit terrifying at the same time. Now, in the modern evangelical church, we tend to do a very good job at emphasizing the good parts of the good news story. Such as the forgiveness of sins by Jesus' death and resurrection, experiencing a relationship with God as a result of being forgiven, escaping the punishment of hell, experiencing freedom and joy in worship. But we tend to downplay the warnings God provides, or we just ignore them completely. We might even question if God really means what he says when he issues the warnings. And if we had time this morning, I would go through all the passages that Francis Chan um, alludes to in his book. We just don't have time. For those of you who maybe haven't read much of his book, I encourage you to do that. There's lots of stuff to think about, talk about, chew on, and challenge us. I want to commend Olivia and Jana. Last week, they shared um, about their struggles with forgiving, forgiving people, and they're very open and vulnerable, and uh, I would say quite courageous in, in presenting that to us, along with the biblical truth that they've learned through this process of forgiveness. It's hard. Forgiveness is sometimes easy, it, you know, especially if it's just a little thing. But when it seems like a really big thing, and we've been hurt quite heavily, um, it can be a very difficult thing to do. So we have, we have young people like this, and I, I love seeing... Now I'm getting... I'm almost 50, so I can talk about these people as being young. Um, we, we have these young people in our midst. We have a job. And one of the things that we are instructed to do is treasure these young people and cultivate them so that they can minister and uh, eventually be the leaders of our church. We've got this really great ministry not too far from here that many of us know and are involved in, West Bank Bible Camp. West Bank Bible Camp is a great place for young people to be discipled, for them to experience what it means to be a leader. Um... But we also need to stop and think, well, that's wonderful, but what about the other 10 months of the year? How are we, in, how are we incorporating these young people um, in church? Not just leading worship songs. There's so many other things that the church needs to be doing. Some of them are not very visible. But they're not less important because they're less visible. Now, before we get into the heart of the message and look at some scripture this morning. I want to share a personal story. You have to indulge me, okay? This, <laughs> I've never told this story um, to, well, my wife knows about it, but beyond that, there's not a lot of people here who know about this. So, um, but it does illustrate what I, what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, this happened about 20 years ago. I was living in Saskatoon. I was living with some friends from Baba College, and uh, it was great. We were good, really good friends. Um, but it was a crazy time because I had a girlfriend. This was not normal. So, <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> this is before I met Mabel, uh, my soulmate. That, that hadn't happened yet. Um, so, this girlfriend, we'll, we'll, we'll call her Allison and we'd been going out for some time. Um, we had some ups and downs, but it was going well. And we were sort of approaching this... Um, we are sort of phasing into a, a new... Um, new dynamic, I guess, because we had actually gone and looked for engagement rings. We were just, you know, it was just kind of for fun, quote-unquote, for fun. Um, <laughs> we, Let's go look at some rings, you know. I mean, of course, there's, in, there's sort of this implied thing, like people don't just do this. Um, so it, we, were, we were sort of on the verge of getting into this serious, serious relationship. Well, then, not, not, uh, not many days after, unexpectedly, she showed up at our duplex and told me that we were done. No more dating relationship. Welcome to dumpsville. <laughs> Population, me. She, <laughs> she said she wasn't ready to get serious. That's what she said. And she wanted to focus on her finishing university and getting her career started. So she didn't, you know, marriage, that, that's somewhere down the line, but not right now. Now, of course, I was shocked. I didn't see this coming. Um, but strangely enough, I was okay. I didn't spiral down into hopelessness, uh, even though I was in my late 20s at the time and knew that the marriage plane that I was hoping to be on was quickly running out of a runway. <laughs> and uh, I, I, w- I was okay. and uh, another reason why i was you know i wasn't too too down in the dumps was because i was heading to west bank bible camp for the summer and that was one of my favorite places to be i was going to be the program director um, and it was fantastic it was it was amazing summer and i loved working at west bank working with the kids working with the adults it was all great well The summer came to an end, and I returned to Saskatoon. And the first Sunday back in August, uh, last Sunday in August, I went to church, sat down, and the person leading the service had some announcements. And one of their announcements was that my former girlfriend, Allison, and Ian, the man I had invited to our home Bible study, were announcing their engagement. And everyone clapped and everyone cheered. Well, I didn't. My sister didn't. (laughs) And my friends who were sitting close to me didn't either. Um, So once again, I was in a state of shock. I wasn't even sure what I was supposed to feel. After church, um, I went home and a bunch of my friends came over and they were just they were so ticked off they spent the afternoon ranting and raving about what had happened of course I felt hurt and of course I felt betrayed Um, and there was nothing I could do about it I did my best to avoid these people which you know is possible to do in a big church but eventually you do run into them And I did. I ran into Allison in the hallway. And she struck up a friendly conversation. She tried. I wasn't in the talking mood. In fact, I I just stared at the wall. I refused to even acknowledge that she was there. Afterwards, I felt pretty proud of myself. I had really shown her I wouldn't even look her in the eye. But as the days went by, I didn't feel so great about that. A couple of Sundays later, I was hit by the sermon, of all things. And I don't remember who was preaching. I don't remember um, the topic. I just remember I had to go talk to Allison and Ian. I didn't know what they were going to do. I didn't know what they were going to say. But that didn't matter. I I had to go tell them. I had to go ask them something. As soon as the service ended, I tracked them down. I told them I was sorry for my attitude, my actions, the way I looked at them. Before I could go on any further, they asked me to forgive them too. We all clearly and without any excuses verbalized our experiences, our thoughts, and we clearly made it, you know, there was no doubt we were forgiving each other and we were not going to hold on to this any longer. Did we suddenly become best friends? No. But I believe we had put the battle behind us. And the thing is, I hadn't even realized, up until that point, how much of a weight the whole situation had been upon me. My spirit had been dragged down. But I certainly experienced the opposite of that, once that weight was gone. And this relates back to our need to forgive people. Why do we have to? Well. We sometimes think in our pride, if we forgive someone, or if we don't forgive someone, sorry, if we don't forgive someone, that's how we are punishing them. What we can't see is by holding on to the resentment and not forgiving is actually punishing ourselves. We are destroying ourselves by holding on to the hatred, the bitterness the malice, whatever word you want to use so a few weeks ago um, Honey shared about her life during COVID and it was it was amazing Um, if any of you missed it go find it on the church website (laughs) it's it's, um, really really full of truth and such a balanced view of of what we need and, and, our, and, and who God is. And one of the things that, that Honey talked about was, if we don't understand who God is, if we have a distorted view of God's character, God's nature, it alters our view of everything. So we really need to understand who is God, what is he all about, because if we don't have that right, it, we get a bunch of other things wrong. So, for example, if we only emphasize God is love, God is love, God is love, of course that's true, but if that's your main emphasis, what eventually will happen is you'll be so focused on the loving God that it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter if you sin because God is love and he will always love you. This is actually a pretty popular idea out in the world, and it also permeates the church at times. Well, there's another view that God is a just God. He is really serious about right and wrong, and he knows the difference between right and wrong better than anyone, and so God is just. And if we focus on that, we end up with being judgmental of people, falling into legalism and we have sort of this joyless Christianity where we just care about the rules all the time and that's it the main thing is the rules but there's another alternative and that is that God is holy and we've heard this this summer already it's the only word in the entire Bible where the word is repeated when God is described holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty that's the only word this is God's core nature. From this holiness, we get God is love and God is just. Because he's holy. There's also this idea, and I think I've even heard people preach this. In the Old Testament, you have God. And God was always mad. Always. <laughs> didn't matter what people did he was always angry and spiteful and he just wanted to you know anyone who crossed his path just going to kill this person that's god just angry and then he had a son and he kind of decided to lighten up and now he's this nice guy you know he's just a nice guy he loves you all the time doesn't matter who you are he'll just love you um and this, this angry God in the Old Testament is now gone. And now we have this loving God in the New Testament. Well, this is a bunch of garbage. This, this, is, <laughs> this is a very a huge distortion of what the Bible teaches. God doesn't change. God's always been the same. Okay? Does he get angry when people sin? Yes. Only in the Old Testament? No. Does he love in the Old Testament? Of course God doesn't change. You may think, well, it's weird because that's all I ever hear about is God loves me. Well, let's just think about Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is one of the most remarkable stories that we have in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 5, there was a man named Ananias. He was part of the church. And his wife, Sapphira. Now, they decided to do something which was a good thing. They sold some property and gave um, some of the money from their property from the sale to the church to help people so they could you know, feed hungry people and so forth. Um, Peter then challenged Ananias because they didn't bring all the money. It wouldn't have mattered if they'd done it or not. But they lied about it. So Peter says, Ananias, how has Satan so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And if you read story, if you read further in the story, the same thing happened to his wife. This is a kind of a freaky story. That you could be struck down dead for lying, <laughs> just lying. What's a big deal? I just everybody lies. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Well, as we know, God is holy and that means he doesn't tolerate sin. So, I mean, there's so much going on here in this text, but it's just I want to clarify this idea that God is angry in the Old Testament and is loving in the New Testament. is just wrong. I would also say that we sometimes have a misunderstanding of who we are as people, and that leads us to problems as well. One of our main problems is our hearts. Our own hearts lie to us. It's not just other people lying to us, we lie to ourselves. And we are attracted to people who tell us the good things that we want to hear, not the truth. We aren't attracted naturally to truth, we're attracted naturally to what's going to make me feel good and what's going to be good for me. There's an episode of the TV show, The Office, some of you might be fans of the show. Um, (laughs) It's a funny show. Michael Scott is the name of the branch manager, played by Steve Carell, and uh, he's it's hard to even explain his character. It's, it's, he's all over the map, but he is told in confidence that his branch is going to close down. There's, they're downsizing, so he, he and all the people who work at this branch, they're all going to lose their jobs. He's told not to tell anyone, but he can't keep a secret. So he walks out into the common area, he says, "Excuse me, everyone." Can I have your attention? We are screwed. (laughs) That's the announcement. Um, So (laughs) I watched that. Of course, he's just just talking about losing your job. But as people, it's much more serious than that. We we are so messed up that we don't even know how to fix ourselves because we can't. Jeremiah 17.9 is, you know a verse that you've probably heard before. I'm going to read it in three different translations. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's King James. The NIV says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And the New Living says the heart, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? We go out of our way to downplay this whole idea, whether it's in the church or whether it's in our society. No, no, no. This, this can't be right. We're good people. People are good. People are good. You know. And um, and you can do anything if you just believe in yourself. You can do anything because you're a good person. This is what we hear. This is what I hear at school. If that's true, then why do we always end up doing bad things? (laughs) Where where does that come from? Uh, Oh, well, it's because people watch TV or play video games or uh, the media is controlling them. That's why they're doing bad things. Uh, That's also a big lie. It's our hearts. We are desperately wicked in our hearts. And even after we've been saved, we are battling. There's a battle between the new self and the old self. As Ryan read from Ephesians uh, earlier, there's this battle. We want Jesus. We want new life in Jesus. We want to be transformed by Jesus. But we battle against it. Because we're so bad, God had to come up with a very drastic plan. The redemption plan, the redemption story is drastic. If God could have come up with something else, he would have. But this was the only way. Jesus had to come, die on a cross, humiliated, so much pain because we couldn't do it ourselves. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught into sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. This is a tricky situation. We want to help people. We want to help them deal with their issues. And that's great. But it's so easy to get sucked into the same thing that they got sucked into. We have to be careful. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells the church, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be led astray from your simple and pure devotion to Christ. Paul says he's afraid. He is very worried about this church, the Corinthian church. And it's not just them, just about every church he writes to. He's like, I'm really concerned about some of the things that are going on here. So, we need God's help. We need God's salvation. We need God's Holy Spirit. Uh, And if we deny those realities, um, we have to pay the price of that decision. We need each other. We need each other. We need accountability with each other. We need to check is what I'm saying true or not? Because, again, we deceive ourselves. And we need to forgive each other. As was illustrated with the Skittles. It's a lot of Skittles. It's a lot of forgiving. Yeah, that's just the tip of the iceberg, really. Because we we hurt each other. And we're going to do it again, and we're going to do it again, and we're going to do it again. And we need to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Luke 17.3, watch yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke them. Sorry, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Jesus makes it into a pretty simple equation here. Some of you may know the story of Corrie Ten Boom. Um, and I have her biography here. Corrie Ten Boom, for those of you um, who don't know, or maybe you know it's been a while since you've heard about her, she was captured during World War II. She lived in Holland. She was captured by the Germans and taken to a Nazi concentration camp. And she was there with her sister and father and, of course, saw all sorts of horrible things and experienced all sorts of horrible things. Um, But she survived. Her father didn't. Her sister didn't. Well, after the war was over, she recognized that we need to forgive each other. As terrible as these things were, forgiveness is the only way through. And she started writing some books, and she would give talks, and she would do tours around Europe. But then came this very fateful moment when she encountered one of the German guards at the concentration camp who was doing all of these terrible, horrible things. How was she going to respond? So I'll just read a little bit from, from her book, how she described what happened. I had been writing my book. The message of the book was that God wants all persons to forgive those who have wronged them. I was called to Germany to do some traveling and speaking at a large church in Munich oh, sorry, it's in the third person, I should start over. <laughs> At a large church in Munich, she spoke about how God asked people to forgive one another. This is Corey, And how with God's love, they can become like brothers and sisters, no matter what their nationality. When Corey had finished speaking, many people came up and thanked her for what she had said. She shook their hands and thanked them for coming and listening. Then, when the church was nearly empty... Corrie spotted a tall man with blonde hair making her way towards her. In a flash, she was back in the shower building at Ravensbrook. This man, an SS guard, was standing by the door, hand on his gun, leering at the women prisoners as they made them strip. Corey stood motionless as he approached her. She heard his voice as if it were a million miles away. "'Thank you for your talk,' he said." It is so wonderful to know God forgives all our sins, isn't it? Corey looked at the man standing in front of her. Instead of seeing his smiling face, she saw the faces of Betsy and her father. The man thrust out, thrust out his hand to shake Cory's, and as he did so, hatred filled her heart. She would not and could not lift her hand to shake his. O God, she prayed silently, help me to live my message. As she prayed those words, it was as though a strong jolt of electricity had run through her body. Her arm stretched out as though she had no control over it, and she shook the man's hand. As he did so, all the hatred she felt melted away, and she knew she had forgiven him. Yes, it is wonderful to know God has forgiven all our sins, she said, Meaning every word now, when I read that or hear about that, <laughs> who do I think I am if I can't forgive someone for cutting me off in traffic, or something ridiculous like like it's it's pretty stupid to be honest um, that. God's power is strong enough, even in Corey Tamboom's situation, to forgive that person. Surely, through God's power, I can do the same. What happens if we don't forgive? Well, it turns out it's actually kind of scary. We all know the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read it again. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. This is how you should pray, said Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, some of you may have memorized it as forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Um, But you'll notice that Jesus puts those two things together. Forgive us as we forgive. And just in case, I can just imagine Jesus saying this prayer and then thinking, maybe that wasn't quite clear enough. I should maybe say a couple more things. And these verses we often don't talk about. The verses directly after the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Oh. What are we supposed to do with this? I, like, is Jesus... Is this really what... Hmm. Oh. He couldn't have meant that. <laughs> this must be a mistranslation of some kind. Could, did Jesus really mean that he's that we're not going to be forgiven if we hold on to bitterness and resentment and don't forgive our brothers and sisters? I I don't. It's hard. These are hard verses. And then you think, well, it was just the one time, it's only in Matthew. Well, no. In Mark 11, we read, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. I don't really want to dive into a theological debate about how all this works because I can't say for sure. And we have arguments, you know, to kind of get around what Jesus is saying here. But I think he's being as clear as he possibly can when he's teaching his disciples what it means to follow him. And of course, he also taught this with parables. We have the the unmerciful servant parable, for example. He teaches the same idea. If God is going to forgive you, who do you think you are by not forgiving your brothers and sisters? Sometimes when we read the Bible, um, it's uncomfortable because it cuts to the heart. And we don't get the goody goody, feely feelies that we want. Paul also sends some warnings. To Timothy and Titus, these were young pastors who were trying to lead their churches the best they could, but they had some issues. So Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. Again, this is a scary thing. Paul is talking about people in the church who have been taken captive by the devil. (laughs) That's scary. That that should be be scary. He's like, I... I I hope all of us can say, I don't want to be a person who who falls into that trap. Then in Titus, Paul writes in Titus chapter 3, he tells Titus, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. You may think, well, Paul, does Paul really want such drastic measures to be taken? This is drastic. Have nothing to do with somebody? That's pretty drastic. I have a theory as to why he is saying that. In Galatians 5, he writes this. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Again, this is God's Word. This is not just a flippant, someone just, no, I'll just say this. This is God's Word. A few years ago, Chad was up here giving a sermon, and um, I wrote down what he had, had preached about in, my, in the back of my Bible, and, you know, in the notes section, and I look at it from time to time as a reminder And these are the three things that I have written down. Number one, my heart, and everybody's heart, is inclined away from God. So beware of my ears being tickled by what I want to hear. Number two, I am drawn to that which satisfies my own idols. The largest of these idols is myself. What do I want? I know I'm right. Everyone else is wrong. That's an idol. Those those ideas need to be challenged. Number three, when I read or when I listen, my mind and my heart want to change the message to keep me from the actual truth. This is why we need a faith community. Okay, a faith community keeps us in line, keeps us on the path to the truth, in the truth, because it's very easy for our, our hearts and our minds to distort what is the actual, real, genuine truth. <laughs> so this is this is the part of the service. I wasn't sure if I should do this, but yeah, let's do it. Um, I'm going to put a list up on the screen, and what this list is. Um, I got names and faces, everything. So if you see yourself up there, it's okay. Um, names and faces of everybody and all the things that you've done wrong this year. All the sins you have committed. So, oh. <laughs> okay, I'm not really going to do that. Um, so I apologize for that that lie. Um, but th- But that would kind of be... Frightening, wouldn't it? <laughs> to see all the things that you've done. Um, the good news is, we would all be up there. Okay, there wouldn't be just three or four people. <laughs> um, and, you know, as a church, we, we've, been, we've been having a bit of a rough time lately. We've, we've been trying to work through a conflict Okay, and sometimes the conflict has seemed much bigger than everything else. I can tell you, as an as an elder, that there are times where we're like, we're what do we do now? Now what? 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 Possibly, can we do next? And as one of the elders said recently, if just one person had done something, had committed a sin, we could deal with that. That would be much easier. But that's not what's been happening. It's been this collection of sins back and forth. So we need forgiveness. We need repentance. We need reconciliation. This is what we need. Otherwise, we're going to end up biting and devouring each other and destroying ourselves. And you know, this isn't a new thing. I think every church I've been a part of has had this happen. Every workplace, every family gathering, every friendship group. Unfortunately, at some point, this will happen. Somebody will say something and spread a bunch of stuff to people that isn't true. But they'll spread it to anyone who will listen. And most of the time, the people spreading whatever message that they're spreading, they don't actually have all the facts. They don't have the exact quotes. They can't see inside the hearts and minds of everyone involved what their motivations were. But that doesn't matter. To them, they are the final authority, and they know exactly what happened. And then, to make it worse, other people listen and say, Hey! that must be true, let's tell everyone else too. And by the time you try to stop it, you can't. It's similar to the internet these days. Um, People put all sorts of crazy ideas on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, and sometimes they realize, oh, 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 I shouldn't have done that, well, it's too late. Once it's out there, (laughs) good luck. People resend it, people take screenshots, it's, it's there. You can't get it back, you can't take it back. Now, that sounds really depressing, but the good news is, we have good news. Okay, we do have the good news. The good news is, even though you can't undo what you did and you don't have a time machine to go back and change it, forgiveness is available, reconciliation is available. This is what church is supposed to be known for. Out of all the institutions and all the organizations across the planet, the church is supposed to be, oh, I can go there and people will accept me, people will forgive me, and if I do something wrong, I'm not going to get kicked out, and if I hurt somebody, we'll, we'll work it out and we'll forgive each other. That is what it's supposed to be. Of course, we know that that isn't often the way it is, Sadly. Sometimes the church is known for the opposite. That's a place where you get judged. That's a place where people will never forget something you did. That should not be. Now, I get this. Forgiveness is difficult, especially when it's personal, especially when it cuts you right to the very heart of who you are, and you feel betrayed, and you feel like nobody understands you, then it gets very hard to forgive. Well, is it so hard that it's bigger than God? The person who created the entire universe, maybe they can help you, maybe they can walk you through it, maybe they can give you the courage, maybe they can change you. And it's true. I don't have a magic pill for this. I don't have a. I don't have a Skittles that you can take and like. If I just take that, then everything is fine. Like it never happened. I don't have that. Okay. Nobody has such a such a pill. But we know that God can do this. And how can we be sure? Well, I think many of us have experienced what it means to forgive other people and how freeing that is. Plus, Scripture, as I've I hope I've made it clear this morning. Scripture is pretty clear. This is what God requires of us to forgive. Now, sometimes we hurt people that are really close to us. And they're hurt. But, yeah, I hurt this person. But, you know, it wasn't that bad. They're overreacting. I, I think they need to chill out. And for those of you know, when you get married, it doesn't really work if you're not forgiving each other. It doesn't work. So Mabel and I have to learn pretty early that we have to forgive each other because sometimes we hurt each other even by accident. Sometimes I say something and it's it hurt. My wife was hurt. And it wasn't even the words I said. It was the tone, or it was the attitude, or it was the timing of it. That's what hurt. And so I need to ask for forgiveness, and, and then I need to be forgiven. And that's how we maintain this relationship, and that's how we keep the peace. We have to do it this way. Now, when you get married, it's great, I'm in love with this person, and now we're together. But then you find out, oh, I didn't just marry this person, I married into this family. And now I have in-laws. And my in-laws don't always see things the way I see them. (laughs) And my mother-in-law doesn't always react the way my mother reacts. They're not the same people. Um, And so I had to learn this too, because... I I hurt my mother-in-law's feelings. I said something, it was funny. (laughs) I thought it was funny. (laughs) Um, Then I found out later that she was quite hurt. So, I had to go back, back to the in-law's house, and just like I had made this joke in front of everyone, I had to apologize in front of everyone. This is what you have to do. I I could have said no. I could have called her up and said, you know, why can't you take a joke? If I had said that to my own mother, she would have laughed. What's your problem? Well, (laughs) that would have gone, well, not well. Um, And my relationship, not just with her, but my relationship with my wife would also be strained. So sometimes you have to, it's, it's hard, swallow your pride and say, Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm making it sound like it's so easy. I know it's not always so easy. Last week, um, Olivia and, and Jana were sharing, again, thank you. That we were reminded that when we fight, we're not supposed to fight against each other. We fight against spiritual forces. We fight against the devil. That's the real fight. And if you think about what does the devil want, well, there's probably a long list of things he wants, but one of the main things I think he wants is for the church to not function well, the church to get divided, the church to disappear And for Christians to not forgive each other. I would say that's what he wants. And if he can, he will keep the bitterness, the envy, the strife, the slander going as long as possible. And sometimes we get so caught up in it that we can't see what we're doing. And this, again, is why we need each other. We need each other to check. Are we doing what God wants us to do? I just have a couple more verses to close, and then we'll have uh, one more song. So Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows springs of life. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9 says, Be on your guard. Diligently watch yourselves so you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that they do not slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and grandchildren. And then Ephesians 4 again. Do not let evil talk come from your mouths but only what is good for edifying as fitting to the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I'll call up the worship team to lead us.